This episode tackles racism, injustice, and the February 2020 murder of an innocent young black man, Ahmaud Arbery, by two white men. After watching Ahmad's last moments, I'm so happy to see that my white audience has become enraged and you want to take action. I consider it a privilege that you trust me to give you answers, but I'm not an expert on this topic. My life's work is to teach empathy, accountability, and emotional intelligence through the art of storytelling and genuine human connections. I've been blessed with the gift of a vivid imagination and the ability to connect with people. I use my personal life experiences and the stories of others to create moments that bridge the gaps of humanity. And today, I'm hoping to be a bridge. If you're sensitive or easily offended, it's best that you skip this episode. You know, guys, I said that we're going to talk about Corona and COVID while the pandemic is going on. And as you can see, the world is slowly starting to open back up. Today's message is somber. It is not happy. I'm not a happy nausea right now. And I, I didn't know how to talk about and bring you guys this topic because number one, I'm going to be quite honest. I'm going to be straight up honest. You guys know I love my I know I'm crazy audience. And I am one of the people that is in the blended family realm, the divorce, co-parenting, remarriage, all that realm that has a very diverse audience. You know, you guys probably follow a lot of other a lot of other podcasts, but there there's not a lot of diversity there. And typically when there is, I'm the person that they're interviewing. And so I do feel a certain responsibility because I'm a I'm the only black friend that a lot of my non-black audience has. And yeah, I call you guys my friends because you know I give you my phone number on this podcast. And a lot of you do use it and you'll text me and you'll DM me. But over these past three or four days, I've been inundated with direct messages, emails, and I kind of feel like calls to action from white women. Straight up. It's been my white sisters and I call, and y'all know I don't have a problem calling white, Latino, Asian, whatever my sisters, because if I fool with you, I'm cool with you. And um, the one thing that they've come to me asking is, Naja, what can I do to be an ally? to black people. And, and the reason that the world, the nation is so infuriated right now is because we have just seen a video of a young, young man, 25 year old fella jogging in his neighborhood in Georgia. Ahmad was his name, was his name. He was taking a jog as his mother said, and his normal route and two, two guys in a pickup truck came after him. They followed him they started a scuffle with him. And the story that we had as of three weeks ago was that he was thought to be a robber or a criminal in their neighborhood. They tried to do a citizen's arrest. He refused. A scuffle ensued. He was beginning to overpower them. So one of the men went to get a, pick, a, a rifle and they shot him three times. But now, a few weeks ago, this week, I'm sorry, a few days ago, a video has come out and we have seen what actually happened that day. Ahmaud Arbery was hunted down by these two white men in Georgia. He was hunted down by a 64-year-old father and a 32-year-old son. They tried to do a citizen's arrest. But what we saw in the interview was they tried to pull this man over. They chased him. He was running. He was on the jog. They told him to pull over or stop. He did not. I can't say I would have stopped either. If two people in a pickup truck, two strangers in a pickup truck told me to stop, I would probably keep running. So they pursued him and he did what any man is going to do. He fought for his life and it was taken right there in the street and they left him in the hot sun to decompose. They did call the police and what they told the cops was, well, we saw a black guy running and we, we gave chase. That's what they said. And now, thank, I'm so thankful for this. I'm thankful for, to have this platform because it's been a lot of white mothers. You all know that I, I mostly have an audience of women, but the fellas that do listen to my podcast is probably because y'all's wives or girlfriends or fiancés have been like, you need to listen to her. So for, for the fellas that are here today, shout out to you too. I'm talking to you as well. 
There is an inherent problem in the fabric of America. I, I make no qualms about that. Y'all know Ms. Naja's black. Some of you follow me because I'm black. Some of y'all follow me in spite of the fact that I'm black. And some of you are proud of the fact that you got a black friend and that's all good. No matter why you're here, I appreciate the fact that you're here. Um, but I'm getting questions on from, from some of my white followers, friends, fans asking, hey, Naja, what can we do? Because we saw what happened. We are pissed off. What can we do? And honestly, I'm at a loss. I'm at a freaking loss. I said, I don't know what to tell my white friends, my white allies, or people that want to become allies to the African-American struggle. I don't know what to tell them they can do. So I, I reached out to some of my friends that are experts. And I reached out to a, a person that I respect a lot. I'm so happy that he actually responded to my message and I told him what I was up against. I said, can you help me talk to my white friends in a way that they can understand in a way that does not make them feel nasty or like I'm saying all white folks are bad or we hate, I I don't want to come across that way. And he's really good at being an ally for people of color. And so Eddie Eads is here with us today. Hey, Eddie, what's going on with you? Hey, Naja, happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you for being a voice. And thank you for being the person that helps me to translate a message that I might not, I'm not an expert in, but thank you for for that. So I sent Eddie a couple of the screenshots that I got from um, some of my followers. Because, you know, you all know, if you you guys ask me something, I'm going to go into attack mode. And I'm going to go into doing what I do best is being a servant of the people. And I saw some posts that Eddie had made about this particular issue. And um, Eddie, I know it's such a loaded question, but you saw what the woman, like one of those messages that I sent you, she said, hey, Naja, um, I got kids. You know, I have one of the ladies in particular has mixed race kids. She, uh, she's like, what can I do? What, what can I do? So Eddie, what, what can white people do to help when, we, when they see situations like Ahmaud Arbery or... Uh, the the numerous black people that have become hashtags in these past few years, what can white people do to help? Well, first of all, I would preface my, my, my comments by saying I grew up in a little town with no diversity at all. And in Midwest and little kind of small town, Indiana. And I still live in, in that environment. I live in the country. So, and there's not very much diversity here, but the thing is, I want white people to understand that we are programmed and we're programmed to see the world a certain way. And so when we talk about being white or white people, we should know that there's, there's not something inherently wrong with us. We've been programmed to see the world in certain ways. And what we can do is begin to unlearn that programming. And first of all, I would say if you take nothing else away from this, number one and two is uh, leave people alone. It's not any white person's business what a black person is doing at any time or place. Number two, stop calling the police on people. So I would say those those two things. That's say, a well, good list. Them. That's, mind your <laughs> that's mind a good list. Stop calling the cops. Now, yeah. to get into deeper uh, the issues of what's going on, why certain people, white people in, in certain situations like like Ahmad uh, situation, they thought it was their business of what he was doing when he was doing it. Or even George Zimmerman. You know, there's so many examples. It, it's a structural problem. It's not just like a one-off of one person who who was a bad or evil. It's 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 not it's not something inherently wrong with with us. It's it's that we've been programmed to see the country as ours, and we mm. kind of we have been we have been programmed to see the, the the country started out as colonies. And if you go back and look at the history, which I would I would encourage you to go back and look at Bacon's Rebellion. Mm-hmm. and the racial makeup of the people who rebelled against that governor and a lot of historical context. And that's why we see this construction of white people as a power structure. 
It is a structure of uh, money. It is a structure of power and of class. And the rich white people count on the not rich white people to enforce this view that the country is ours and that we must police other people in order to keep it controlled. And that's where we look at these situations. And this is a natural outgrowth of that mentality that America is ours. And I saw the world that way without ever realizing it until one day it just kind of dawned on me that, that I did see the world that way. And I think first of all, to recognize this idea of white dominance of America and that it should be that way, we need to first recognize that that's a thing and that we should look at it and analyze it. And further, that it should not be that way. So I think th those are those are two steps. Recognize it, analyze it, and then reject that idea in favor of an America that everybody can live in safely. Okay, so I, I kind of I see what you're saying. You're saying that the attitude of these particular types of white people is because I know not everybody thinks that way. These women that DM me, they they don't think this way or they don't want to think this way. Um, the allies, they damn sure don't think this way. Because if I look at the civil rights movement, there was a whole lot of white folks up there marching with Dr. King fighting for us, just like we were fighting for ourselves. And I kind of, I mean, I agree with you. You know, when we hear things like make America great again, if you look at the rich people that structured and marketed that statement, if you look at exactly who they were talking to, we knew that they were talking to the wasps, the white Anglo-Saxon Protestant men that felt like for so long what was built for them by black people was no longer theirs and was being overtaken. As a matter of fact, that previous eight years, it had been run by a black guy. So that's, you know, they were infuriated by that, but they had been made to feel like they were victims. And I feel like that was the greatest mind trick. That was an okie doke. You know, that was a, a way to win votes, of course, by making people feel victimized. So I don't, I don't do that victim stuff with black folks. I don't do it with white people. Um, so I agree with you on that. And also on the other side, I can say black people don't, we don't really, really feel like this country belongs to us. If you look at, if we're real about it, we were brought over here to be cattle. My great, 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 great grandmother was brought over here. Her, her parents were brought here just to farm the land, to reproduce, to milk the children of their masters and to be cattle. But I don't think the, the Europeans or the white Americans that brought the Africans and enslaved them here, I don't think they really had a good exit strategy. I don't think they ever planned on slavery ending. You know what I mean, Eddie? Like they didn't say, what are we going to do with all these people once they're here and once they multiply? We can't shoot them all. Well, you know, we see that's what's happened last, you know, last week. But, you know, we can't exterminate them. Hitler tried that with Jewish people. And so now what can we do? We can still stomp on their necks and still show them that they're second class citizens. So I can't say that I necessarily feel like this land is my land. This land is your land from California to the, like, I, I can't say that I feel like that, but you're, what you're saying is um, the white people that have not become allies or the ones that believe in white supremacy, they do believe this is, they're like, listen, this is our shit. This is our land and we're trying to take it back. And so it's up to us to be vigilantes. And when we see a black face, we assume that that's the enemy or that's one that's um, not in control. So is that why they felt like they had autonomy over this man's body to stop him? Yeah. Yes. Uh, I, I, I don't know exactly where the quote is, but W.E.B. Du Bois in his book, Black Reconstruction, which I highly recommend. I haven't read that one. And, and by the way, y'all, if I didn't mention this, Eddie is white. <laughs> he's, he's, yes. white. he's white. I didn't mention that, uh, you know, in case you guys didn't know. But I haven't read that book, Eddie, but you have. So that's what's up. I like that. It's, it's a, an extre extremely well-researched book, um, W.E.B. Du Bois. I, 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 I recommend any of his books. 
Um, I also recommend Franz Fanon's uh, Wretched of the Earth. Okay. But uh, particularly W.E.B. Du Bois in this, in this situation was saying that uh, white Southerners felt like that in general, uh, black people belonged to them in general so that they more or less were in charge. No matter if they knew that person or did not know that person, it, it didn't matter. They felt like white people in general in the South felt like black people in general belonged to them as a kind of oversight or something like that. And I would say uh, that's, that's at the heart of this kind of situation. And I would also say too, uh, that this, this type of mentality is, is not just so overt uh, as a person who has kind of had to, had to undo this way of thinking in my own mind Mm-hmm. It's kind of like you you have a, a house that's being uh, refurbished and reconstructed and you still have pieces of the old house underneath the pieces of the new house. So I would say you, you have to find those those parts of yourself and your attitude and your mentality. And sometimes you you might find them by surprise. Uh, and not realize that that kind of old feeling and old thought, and you have to fight that and uh, combat that within yourself. And that's the real struggle for white people, too, is to undo this programming that we've been yeah. given since since birth, really, um, that we were in charge and that we ought to be in charge. And so we have a control issue uh not just about race, but about everything. If you see white people in a uh, interracial uh, group, sometimes white people can be the ones to rush toward the front and try to be take leadership roles that may not necessarily uh, that we should take. And I okay. think that's that's an issue of being of having always been kind of in charge and always felt like that we should be. And it's very liberating to just kind of sit back and 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 not have to be that person. Yeah. <laughs> and just just kind of like be part of a larger thing that's greater than just being in charge and having it being your thing. Uh, as I I said uh, yesterday, that situation is like having the biggest slice of the smallest pie. It's like the, the thing we, we do together when everybody is included mm-hmm. is much greater. It's so much greater. Pluralism is so much greater than this uh, I'm in charge and I'm going to tell you what to do kind of situation because it's right. so limiting. That's so limiting. America has been so limited by this situation of one dominant group being in charge. And we have not reached our potential because of that. I wholeheartedly agree. I think once we start to um, we start to really tackle these ideas within ourselves, that's that's when we can uh, become more human and more successful. Both at the same time, we can become more compassionate toward other people Mm -hmm. and um, become more understanding of other people. When I see your son in the same way that I see my daughter. Mm. that's that's when we've uh, started to to get there okay so it, it's interesting that you're mentioning the human part of it because in my book in both my books i talk about dehumanization and i compared and i, I don't want to get any hope i don't get flack from this but back in the day when they would put slaves I'm sorry, because I said I was going to stop saying slaves. I was going to say enslaved African people. When they put enslaved African people up on that auction block, and I'm from Memphis, Tennessee, we have a street called Auction Street, guys, and there is still an auction block right there. So just imagine as a kid, you're driving by that, and you knew that somebody that looked like your daddy could have been standing up there stark naked and being ripped away from you and sold to go and uh, work on somebody's farm as as cattle. You know, so this is just already in the heads of a lot of black Americans. Like you guys, your coworkers, your friends, uh, the black people that you don't even know. Like this, this is stuff that's literally in the back of our heads. We operate every day 
with this trauma in the back of our minds. So there's that. That's just something that I want you guys to know. But you mentioned dehumanization. So in my book, I talk a lot about the dehumanizing of the enslaved African. And you're like, Naja, what the hell does this have to do with blended families and stepmamas and biological mothers? Well, as people, we we have to dehumanize other people. And the reason that slavery was so successful for so long is that the enslavers made their customers think that these enslaved Africans that they were buying weren't really human. Their brains are smaller. They don't think the way, way we do. They have larger appendages so that they're only good for sex and procreation, but you better keep them away from your pure white daughters or else they're going to rape her and they're going to harm your sons. They're going to steal from you. They're not very smart. Um, they dehumanize the enslaved Africans to lower the moral compass of the people so that they could be sold. Because you're not really, you're going to feel bad about buying a man, but you're like, eh, I don't feel so bad buying a cow. They were literally trying to equate these human beings that they were selling to just being animals. And so the first thing is if your ancestors did that, and their ancestors did it and they had kids and they had kids and they had kids. And then you're here today listening to me. That means someone in your bloodline maybe, maybe upheld the fact um, of dehumanization of people that look like that. And for me, someone in my bloodline was a person that was dehumanized. I mean, my grandmother still has stories of being chased down. She and my great uncle, God rest his soul, in Mississippi. Same way that this boy in this video four days ago that we saw. Same way, being traced down by some white dudes in a pickup truck and some shotguns. Get out of my land, N-word. And I'm, I'm not going to say that here. But y'all know what I'm talking about. Um, so it's, it's very real. And so you have to remember, you're walking amongst people like that. And it's also etched in the fiber of your DNA. Like Eddie said, and a lot of you might have missed this. He said he grew up in a sundown town. Eddie, what's a sundown town? I know what that is, but a lot of people might not know what that is. What's a sundown town? Yeah, sun, a sundown town, which uh, historically, they, they try to hide this association now because people uh, get real defensive when you mention it. But uh, it's a town where a, a, a black person was not to be after sundown. and Because why it, not? Oh, well, there was implied threats of violence or just outright you would be hanged. You would be killed, and it, yeah, you know, yeah. because that's when the, that's when the hunting starts. It's it's like sport, actually. Well, this- the <laughs> the strangest thing about this was that the the sundown towns that I uh, grew up in and and know about really didn't even contain any black people. Matter of fact, a lot of the the really very racist people I knew were. Didn't even know any black people, and they they just this is, why I said, this is why I said programming comes into play. Mm, you didn't even know, but you know what? Black folks probably like I'm not gonna live in a sundown town. <laughs> I'm not like me personally. I wouldn't do it. Not in 2020. I'm not living. I'm not going to live in a sundown town. No, no, of course, of course, <laughs> no. There, you know, the the situation was was well known, yeah, uh, to people and still is. Um, but yeah, I think, I think people think they know white people's, uh, uh, in that situation thought they knew who black people were because that's who, what they've been told. And that's the only frame of reference they had, I guess, but they, so are they, you saying that there's a, an instilled fear absolutely. Um, of fear. black people? Yes. And it comes, it comes from this, uh, I think it comes from this settler mentality this colonial mentality of this is our place and we have to keep other people in check in right. order to maintain this as our place and but, it's that so the people that they have to keep in check are the ones that they i mean it's hard to keep people in check when you've pissed them off and if you've stolen them raped them beat them not given them sufficient education not given them access to even uplift their families they're going to be pissed. And so I wouldn't personally, Eddie, I wouldn't want to walk around knowing that there was a population of people that are mad at me or my ancestors because uh, the, the effects of slavery, I mean, you could see them all day, every day, just go to any hood in America, any black hood in America, you could see that. 
Um, so uh, you made a post, Eddie, and I'm, I'm sorry to have cut you off, but it, I, I want to cover this because okay. I agree a thousand percent. And I'm going to quote your words. You said, you don't have to say things like white people are trash. It's far more powerful to read and to begin to understand why we act the way we do and tear away at the underpinnings of white America's political foundation. And I know now what you mean is by colonization that did quite a number on us. Yes. The relationship that pitted that it's kind of like black folks didn't really stand a chance to have. I'm surprised that I'm so thankful that we can have great relationships and dialogue considering where we started in the beginning, you know, just with the history of white Americans and the people that later became, uh, were granted, uh, citizenship here in this country. And you then later made a comment. You said there are, by the way, you said there are power structures that uphold shitty white people, but that's kind of what I want to get into. So let's talk about the power structures that uphold this way of of thinking and the powers that be that should not be there. Okay. Well, it's this kind of uh, mythologizing, I guess, uh, the, the idea of the greatest country in the world for one thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, which, which I would say, most black people and, and other people of color do not believe in. Probably because they know better. Uh, it has not been a fair and great country to them. So, and it, a lot it, of people it, would say, if we were to say that, they'd be like, "Well, leave." <laughs> right. And it's not. It's not. Uh, it, it's the criticism in the hopes that that we will find the we will embody those ideals that we we claim mm. all men are created equal and so on. Um, mm. But, but we, we uphold these things like the flag, the troops, the police, uh, you know, certain things, God and country. Mm. And, and that, that sort of thing, uh, it, it, it kind of, it, it kind of holds up an ideal of the country as a certain thing. And mostly that certain thing is it's, white people's country and everybody else must more or less assimilate or uh, you better fall in line. You better get with the program. Fall in line and salute the flag. And that's the thing is uh, that's what I see those symbols as representing is that power structure. Uh, Most of the senators are white men. Uh, A lot of, a lot of our Congress are white people. A lot of our government on in either party is white people. How is and, the power structure going to be dismantled and ba- and cal- recalibrated so it represents all people in this country? Well, that's one thing we we first have to stop seeing America as that country and stop okay. seeing it in a colonial way. We have to stop seeing it as the thirteen colonies of England, mm-hmm. or you know that it, that it's owned by one one particular group and start seeing the country as it belongs to everyone. It belongs to all of us equally. And if you wouldn't want someone to treat your fellow citizen, uh, you wouldn't want you to be treated that way. Then you wouldn't want your fellow citizen to be treated that way either. Mm -hmm. And um, start, start looking at the inequalities uh, with, with clear eyes and, and being, being very critical of the United States, knowing that our criticisms will improve this country. It's not to tear down and say, you know, we hate this country. We, we love the country. We want it to be better and want it to right. be what it actually set out to be. Right. And to do that, and to do that, we have to dismantle this power structure, which only advantages one, one group of people at the expense of everybody else. And we can't have that. We need to start recognizing are the way that we're treated and given the benefit of the doubt by uh, police, by judges, by managers, by any authority figure. Some people and will call that white privilege. White privilege. It's a, it's an advantage. It's an advantage. And it's also power. It's power. We were talking about this one day, whether privilege and power are equal. And I said, yes, I believe they are. Mm-hmm. So. Cause one I can have- beget the other. Absolutely. If I have the privilege to do something that someone else doesn't have, that's power. That's power that they don't have. Why do we see 
white people opposing the idea of white privilege? Well, because the first, the first uh, step in some this white people, I'm sorry, I don't want to generalize. Why do we see some opposing well, that not, idea? I would say too, when, when you say white people, if it's not you, then just let that slide. Now, hey, I like that. I like if, that. If it's, if it's not you, just, just realize that it's not you that, that is being talked about. So don't, like don't get all offended because, uh, and, and also know that there are parts of you that, that it may apply to that you're trying and that, but you have to call out that, that part of you. Yeah. And, uh, so in other words, as my granny say, as we say in the country, a hit dog is going to holler. Okay. <laughs> right. Also, also I would say there's an old gospel song that says, search me, search me Lord and find anything that shouldn't be take it out and strengthen me. Mm. And I say that that's what we have to do. And we have to be really willing to be honest with ourselves of how we actually think and feel and really examine those attitudes. And I think the dismantling of that, of that structure be, begins when we start recognizing that when we start really looking at ourselves and really thinking about how, how we've seen the world and how we've seen other people. And so back, back to privilege. Um, Cause I kind of, reverted and, and interrupted your thought i'm sorry why do some people why why do they reject that privilege is, is even something that exists oh because why would i both know it does the, fir the first step to dismantling this whole situation is to recognize that it exists and to say it openly and also i think uh people get irritated when you say that they have advantages that other people don't have mm -hmm. uh, number one because they will have to give up those advantages number okay. two because they may not even really understand that they have them mm. they, okay they see that they don't really a lot of people don't recognize white privilege because they they are surrounded by it and they can't see it they don't understand that, that when they're pulled over by the by the cops they have a they have a uh a, a decent interaction maybe they were speeding they might get a warning they might get a ticket but it's all kind of you know but worthless. they don't understand that nausea the lady that you all love you buy my books you support my services a lot of you i'm your coach you pay me a lot of money you know you might not understand it a hundred percent honestly when my husband tony y'all know tony when he gets pulled over i almost cry and break down in tears because I understand one wrong move on his part could be a justifiable homicide and an officer ending up with desk duty. And he just killed another black guy because like, not, not, not because I'm full of anxiety, but because I have seen it happen. I've, I've seen it happen with my own eyes to my father. I've heard stories from my granddaddy. We see it on the news every day. So it's not like it just, you're not seeing it, but now you're hearing from a person and I'm nausea. I'm your cool black friend, but I'm a person that it's happened to. You know what I mean? Right. And it's easy for people who have never experienced that to say, oh, well, that was just a, that was one incident or one situation. Yeah. Realize that that's just the way that it is. And that that happens way more times than we could ever that we realize, you know, we don't think about it. Because you and I would probably have very different interactions with, with the police. Um, because when authority looks like you, it feels like more of a kinship. They have in the South, they have this thing called a good old boys network. And it's basically a um, compilation of powerful white men that scratch each other's backs in order to uplift them, preserve them and their families. No one is allowed inside of that circle if they don't fit the criteria of being one of them so that means saying for example Ahmad who was murdered by these two guys he was what the old man that killed him the I'm sorry the old man that was there yeah his son actually pulled the trigger he was a cop right Eddie for 30 something years in that county red yes he was a cop he was a police officer he was in the street so I can't imagine how many black folks he terrorized during his uh time as as an active duty cop 
but he didn't get prosecuted people because he knew the prosecutor. They had probably had Christmas dinner together. Their kids probably went to school with one another. So he probably was like, yeah, man, I killed this black kid. I was chasing him. He didn't stop when I told him to, by the way, y'all, we don't have to stop just because you tell us that citizens arrest stuff. I don't, I, I, that doesn't work for me. I'm not allowing that. Not if I can weaponize myself, by the way. But um, so he probably called him. They probably had a phone call. He's like, man, I'm going to make this go away. That's what you call a good old boys network or nepotism or hooking up your friend. People of color really don't have that much power and that much influence in this country. So that's why, Eddie, I think it, it continues. Eddie, what is your family? What do the people that love you say about your stance? Because you're white. They're white. Do they... Like, what do they say? Do they still talk to you? Are they mad at you? How, how do your people feel about this? Oh, well, I haven't really talked that much to my family uh, about anything. We're not really all that close. I talked to my parents. Uh, okay, okay. And, but we're, we're not a close family. But my, my friends know, my friends know. Uh, and I guess, I guess it's kind of like when you, when you, finally realized this whole situation. Ferguson was a big catalyst for me. Uh, Mike Brown mm -hmm. was shot by a police officer and I kept thinking they better mm -hmm. do the right thing. They oh, better do the right thing. And they didn't, they did not do the right thing. And I think that was really the moment that I realized this really has to change. Something has to be done. And I guess that's when I started on the path that I'm on now. I think that's when I first started seeing your work because you have many, you have hundreds of thousands of people that share your work and share your words and that are touched by your words. Um, and I realize it's people like you, people that look like you, a white man in America, someone who to me, a black woman in America um, has more of a position and visibility and privilege than I do. And that might not be, you know, like, I don't know your level of education. I don't know your income. I don't know any of these things. I don't know. You don't share much about your personal life, but it, you know, I know it doesn't matter. I just know how we're both perceived. And I'm so happy that someone like you is using his position to influence. And my prayer is that your influence um, also speaks to people that look like you. Cause I ain't gonna lie. I mean, it's, you know, we feel, sometimes we feel more comfortable with people that are speaking our language. Right. We, we just do. And, and if they are going through the thing that we're going through. I know why the people that follow me follow me because I'm speaking their language. I, I preach to, to their message. I help them. If there's one thing, one message that you can pass along to somebody, Eddie, because I show, like, you, know, you know, people, I showed Eddie some of the, the messages that I got and I was at a loss. Cause I was like, damn, I don't know how to help. You know, I don't know how to tell these white families what type of conversations they can have with their children so that it can help my family, my black family. I was like, I don't know. What, what can people tell their children, Eddie? Well, I would say, first of all, uh, and I came from a similar background, probably that a lot of white people came from. Mm -hmm. And I think if I can, if I can get to where I am now and I'm still learning things and I'm not, not, you know, not done by any means, mm -hmm. anybody can. And the other thing I would say to, to my fellow white people is start the journey, start learning and give yourself permission to fail and to not really know the answer and to mess up and try to get it right. Uh, but you're, you're learning something that you've, you're, it's going to be somewhat awkward and uncomfortable and painful sometimes to really, you're, you're going to feel maybe sometimes a little bit challenged and maybe even a bit attacked by the, the confrontation of this new information and your prevailing attitudes that you've had your whole life. And it's going to be somewhat difficult at times. Just kind of sit with it and, and let it, let it kind of work its way through and you'll get there. And the thing is, it's not, it's not a destination so much as it's just a, a, a journey of learning and 
learning how to unpack all the things you've been taught and to re relearn some of the things that you've never, never had the opportunity or even the, uh, uh, you just never been in the, the right place to know these things. And mm -hmm. You haven't talked to the right, right person maybe, uh, but now, now is the time and really listen, really listen to black people when they tell you things about their experiences and believe them really start to try to understand, but listen, you don't have to speak, listen, listen more than you speak and, and hear people. And, uh, I would, I would say that's the, the, the biggest thing. And, and also go find, go find some books. Uh, you can look up the, uh, the, the top 10, uh, anti-racist books for white people. Just go Google that. You can go find the books. There are all kinds of resources available for free that you can, uh, begin to unlearn this. Mm. And, uh, I would also say, uh, if, look, look up and see if you can find, um, an organization like Black Lives Matter in your, in your community and ask them what they would like for you to do and don't mm. don't try to now what about well, let me ask you this because yeah. i feel like the reason that the white people that i know the ones that are in my life close and the ones that just have even only heard my voice they felt comfortable because they they know me they know that i'm not dangerous they know that i'm going to listen they know that i am mentally balanced um but you know i, I think there might be a lot of fear in saying hey go up to black lives matter and as a white person and knock on the door and say, Hey guys, what can I do? You know, you don't, I, I mean, that takes some balls. I'll say that. That really takes some balls, but I, what else, how could they allyship? How could they develop their sense of allyship? Cause it's one thing to become an ally and be one. And it's another thing to want to be it. I think one of the first steps to when you are a true ally, you are not afraid to go to the company Christmas party and um, talk about Ahmaud Arbery or um, Tamir Rice or Trayvon Martin. You're not afraid to bring this up on the golf course because an ally means I got to tote this thing with me. I have the covering of my skin that gets me in places that these people can't go. Um, so I'm going to use that and I'm going to allow myself to be used. Even, you know, Christians, Muslims, they ask God, um, Allah, if you, if you speak to Buddha, if that's your God, if Krishna is your God, you know, we ask these deities that we believe in to use us. And so sometimes we do need to remind ourselves, like, let my power and my privilege be used because I certainly use my privilege. I think I'm a very beautiful woman and Honey, on the right day and the right push-up bra, I can go and make the world change. So, you know, it's it's like we have to first admit, like you said, Eddie. Yeah, we, we got privilege and we're going to put it in the right place. And um, any specific, and I know I, I should have asked you to prepare like a list of books, but you just named a couple um, and just even to Google some things. But is there a one that you read that kind of changed your whole perspective? on all of this stuff? Well, I would, I would say, uh, I would, I would recommend that book, uh, W E B Du Bois, uh, okay. black, Re black reconstruction as history. Um, there are also good authors. Chris crass, C R A S S is, is one that's very good as well. Um, uh, I would recommend, uh, as an author, but yeah, I, I think there's, um, just, just go, go find those, find those resources. Mm -hmm. um, there's one book that I read and start reading articles uh, about, about okay. the, the black experience and, and, and start really listening to people. That's and so they'll, hard. Damn, they'll, man. Teach you, they'll teach you what you need to, what you need to know. It's That's better, true. it's better to, to, it's better to learn about situations from the people who are actually affected by those situations uh, yeah. i can tell you i can tell you but i have not experienced racism so i can't really tell you about that i can tell you the things i've learned but i can't tell you about that and that's kind of the thing some really that we also need to to, to learn about 
That's, oh, I, you know what? I think that's a tough ask because in my line of work, I literally genuinely all day, I work with people to help them unlearn certain things. I work with people to help them kill cognitive distortions. I work with people to let them know that they've been lied to. And these are in family and relational situations. And these people come to me, listen to me, pay me to help them do this. And they still give me pushback. They still fight me when I let them know, hey, you've been lied to. Hey, you don't have as much power as you think. Or hey, it's okay to relent and ease your ego out of situations. People fight to hold on to that stuff because it's comfortable and it's normal. Yeah. And it's all they've known. And it's a really scary place when you get into the land of, you know, I just imagine, you know, being in rainbow land and then you step out into the real world and you see it's all gray and bleak. And sometimes it's just easier to step back into that reality that um, your circumstance has created for you because it's comfortable. So what Eddie is asking everyone to do is to kind of step out of our place of comfort and he's telling you right now it's going to be cold you're going to feel nasty you're going to feel dirty you're going to want to turn back you're going to say f this let me just go back to my lily white world i mean i had one of my friends who's been a guest on the podcast she was like nausea um you know you're one of the people that i've you want to she lives in a uh, a part of the country that is mostly is predominantly white and she was like nausea I, I don't know what to do she said I, my daughter and i were at target and a black guy came and she just stared at him and he saw her staring and I was so embarrassed. And I said, why were you embarrassed, girl? She said, because she, she's never seen a black person before. Maybe wow. on TV, but she'd never seen a black person before. And she, I said, well, what did the man, the, the person do? She was like, he just looked at her and giggled and was like, hey, little girl. And he kept going. She said, but I was so freaking embarrassed. She said, and I'm disappointed in myself because I have not exposed that. And she came to me and she asked me, so... One thing I can recommend that I'm so grateful to the white people in my life that have felt comfortable with feeling like I'm enough of an advocate for people to be like, hey, Naja, uh, what do we do? I'm not an expert, though, y'all. Um, that's why I tapped Eddie um, to, to, to come and speak. But one thing about it is you find your resources, you find resources that you trust. Eddie gave some great. Um, books and just understand like he said it ain't gonna be comfortable it's not gonna be it's you're gonna feel like you've been lied to and then you're gonna feel like you were stupid for believing a lie just like you do when i have to tell you to leave your relationship or that um the biological mother in your your husband's life is a good person you know you, you we want to believe these lies because they help us to get along they help us to meander our day and not feel challenged Lastly, Eddie, I kind of want to close it because I'm so curious about you and people like you. Why were you susceptible to being sensitive to the Mike Brown case? Why? What is it about you and your personality? And I guess I'm trying to understand the pathology of how we create more Eddie Eads. Why? Why are you like this? Well. I've always just been kind of questioned a lot of things. I, I never really, I never really uh, just accepted people's, you know, because I said so explanations about things. Mm -hmm. I really, really just wanted to, wanted to know about, uh, you know, I've always been curious about other cultures and, you know, other people's lives in different situations of that than where I lived and the place that I grew up. Mm -hmm. And so once I began to learn about different people's experiences, then it began to open me up into, uh, you know, you see other people as you see yourself. And also, I guess, because I have a, a daughter and she's, she's 11 now, mm -hmm. uh, but at the time uh, Mike Brown was killed, uh, you know, she was she was a good bit younger. And I just kept thinking that that guy is no no more nor less valuable to to his parents than my daughter is. Mm. to me. What and would I shot do? down like a dog in the street? What would I do if someone did that to my child? What would I do? 
And I began to just think about that. And once you see other people's children in the same way that you see your own and realize that their parents love them just as much Mm. and they have just as much potential as your kid does, they're just as valuable to the world and to themselves and to everybody who loves them as your child is, no more nor less important. And if you wouldn't let your child be gunned down for no reason, then why is it okay for someone else's child to be treated that way? Or, so, or, or just a, an, a, an adult to be harassed and bothered all the time and treated like they're second or third class even? Uh, if you wouldn't want that done to you or to your child, then why would you let someone else be done that way? And once you start seeing everybody else as yourself and as your child, uh, I think you, you start to get there and you start understanding that this just can't, this just can't continue. Mm. We are human. You don't have to fear us. You, we're different culturally. We might look different. We might speak different, but we are no less human. And we hurt, we cry, we bleed, we feel the same emotions. And I am so thankful that we have people, Eddie, that have joined hands with us. Because I think you do recognize your privilege and you do recognize that you could get a little bit more done. You know, and like you said, you you were very honest about your position in life. You know, you're not the CEO of some major corporation, but you are no less valuable than some right. multimillionaire white guy with a yacht and um, influence by way of finances. You're not. You are literally no less valuable than him. Right. And, you know, neither, you know, none of us are more valuable in that way. So I really appreciate you coming here today and you sharing a little bit of insight. I hope you all got something from this. So, you know, now whenever one of my friends asks me, oh my God, Naja, what can I do? I, I have a resource to send them now along with links and books. And you all, if you, if you check this podcast, um, you know, if you, if you know, right what streaming platform you're listening from, I'm going to include some of the links to some resources, books, um, other podcasts and people that you can follow to give you more insight on what exactly you can do to help. And first of all, just know that you're appreciated and you're needed. You are needed. Teach your children, teach the people that you love, teach your families. Um, Eddie, thank you so much for being here today. I appreciate you. you. I appreciate the invitation. Thank you very much. All right, everybody. So like I said, until this pandemic thing is over, um, we're doing episodes every Tuesday, every single Tuesday. My God, I cannot wait to go back to this every other Tuesday. Until oh, then, everybody, I will see y'all next week. I know I'm crazy. I know I'm doing crazy. I know I'm crazy.